that's what they use in Brazil. They just, they, they use just oil, straight, you know, cooking oil, or I've heard even motor oil. Is bodybuilding about selfies, steroids, magazines, and muscles? How do I become a successful pro bodybuilder or fitness competitor? Where do I even start if I'm new? And the biggest question of all, what are the judges looking for anyway? Even today with the internet, many people first discover bodybuilding by word of mouth. A lack of regulation has caused a boom of unqualified coaches, scattered info, biased advice, dangerous protocols, and posing trends that are a hot mess. After 20 years in the business, I have seen it all. Week after week, I'm gonna talk about taboo topics that get swept under the rug, provide you tips and strategies to gain a competitive edge and stand out on stage in any division or federation. I'm gonna answer all the burning industry questions without the bias. I have competed across six federations, earned pro status in three, and judged in two. I've coached posing and choreography for men and women in all federations and divisions. I know just how much competing means to you. I'm your host, Michelle Welcome, and you are listening to the Everything Else in Bodybuilding podcast. Be sure to download your free guide, Five Things Every Bodybuilder and Fitness Competitor Needs to Know Before Your Next Show at eeinbb.com. That's www.eeinbb.com. Welcome back to the Everything Else in Bodybuilding podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Welcome. I'm super excited to have my co-host back with me today. Oh my God. She let me on the show again. I know. Can you believe it? I don't know what she's doing. Well, he's with me today because we are going to be talking about a subject that I would say is a little bit taboo in the bodybuilding industry. As you may or may not know, one of the many reasons I started this podcast was to have conversations in and around bodybuilding that are swept under the rug. They're not talked about. They may even be uncomfortable for people. And today I'm really excited to be bringing on a guest who has an extensive 40-year history in the side of the sport that some would say is the dark side to talk about. And what we're going to be talking about today is the topic of site enhancement products, things like Synthol, which is a topic that has been spoken about more freely as of recently from the men's side of the sport and not so much from the women's side of the sport. And today we're going to be talking about it all. My guest today doesn't have the, I competed and got a pro card history, or I competed to inspire others story. Today's guest, Larry Pollock, has a history in the bodybuilding industry that includes some experiences that you're more likely to hear in a movie. His no-holds-bar attitude and honesty is what piqued my interest to come on the show today to have the conversation in and around the subject of site enhancement injections and their prevalence in bodybuilding across men and women's divisions today. I'm excited to welcome Larry Pollock to the show. Larry, please share a brief history on your background, how you got into bodybuilding, and share how and why you got into the performance enhancement side of bodybuilding. Well, um, it's an interesting story. Obviously, I started bodybuilding for the reasons uh, most teenage kids do. I was a smaller kid, and I wanted to get bigger. But I happened to just be in the right place at the right time. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. And at the time, uh, Weeder uh, Empire was running all of bodybuilding, and all the pro bodybuilders were under contract with Joe Weeder. So there was a gym called Don Peter's Gym uh, located in the San Fernando Valley. Later, it turned into a Gold's Gym. But at the time, 
since the bodybuilders had to live there because they didn't have internet like they do today, everybody did photo shoots for the magazines. Uh, most of them were training at that gym. So I walked into that gym at about 14 years old. And the first bodybuilder I ever saw was Bertel Fox, who was massive. And I really uh, thought he was a gorilla lifting weights. I saw him from the back. I didn't think it was a human being that huge. And then he turned around and I, he was a man. And I thought it's the biggest man I've ever seen. So I signed up at that gym and, and also training at the gym at the time were Lee Haney, Rich Gasperi, Matt Menenhall, Al Beckles, uh, a lot of pros. And so I just fell into the right place. And later from there, I went to Joe Gold's uh, World Gym in Santa Monica. And I just started training with pros right from the very beginning. And immediately, I just wanted to be a competitive bodybuilder like they were. These were the people I looked up to. So it was sort of natural just to get into it. And at the time, um, anabolics were not illegal. I mean, they weren't talked about a whole lot, but it was, you could literally buy it at the supplement counter at the gym. It wasn't, and we didn't think anything of it. Wow. Larry, what, what year is this about? Uh, this would be, I, I can tell you, it was 1981 when Arnold just won the controversial, uh, no, I'm sorry. It was Arnold won the Olympia in 1980, which was controversial. And then I joined that gym, I believe it was 1981 when Franco won the controversial Olympia. And uh, so I trained at that gym. And then I ended up training under a, a professional bodybuilder who was a Mr. Universe named Mike Sable. And he trained me for my first show when I was 16, which I won, beating all the 18 and 19 year olds. So after that, I was hooked. I kept competing. I won several shows in the teenage division. And then I went to the uh, Teen USA when I was 18. I won the light heavyweight and the overall there. And uh, from there, I went to the Teen Nationals, uh, which I expected to win. But I ran into somebody you may be familiar with, Sean Ray. Mm. And uh, obviously, he was on another level. So I took second to that him there and I, uh, I continued competing and I pretty much been competing on and off for, Oh, 30 plus years, uh, in bodybuilding, uh, at 20 years old, I started competing in powerlifting. I had no intention of being a powerlifter. So somebody told me there was a powerlifting competition. Why don't you do it? And, uh, I had never competed in powerlifting. I didn't know anything about it, but I went in there and I won my first meet because I was already strong just from the bodybuilding. And uh, so then I kind of got into that as well. So I've been doing both for pretty much my whole life. And um, back then things were a little bit different. Uh, like I said, anabolics weren't illegal. We, we looked at them as supplements like what you would get at a vitamin store. So it, you didn't really think anything of it. There was actually doctors in LA prescribing them at the time. Uh, so mm -hmm. it wasn't really a, a, a huge issue. Uh, it wasn't until later when uh, Ben Johnson got caught at the Olympics with Winstraw that they started making headlines in the news and things like that. 
Um, so yeah, I've been doing, I've been doing this my entire life. I started training people at 18, uh, right after I won the USA. And there was no such thing as a trainer at the time. Just people came to me in the gym and at, they knew I had won competitions and asked me to help them prep for shows. So I did. And, um, yeah, I've been doing it. Like I said, I've been doing this my entire life. I'm a meet director for the USPA. We put on several meets a year at our gym and I'm still involved in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, I own a gym in Ventura, California, underground performance gym, um, which is pretty much what I do. So, you know, pretty much everybody in the sport and your exposure to anabolics and PEDs is like, it's a hot topic today, PEDs, especially the prevalence in the youth and people who are not competing. So back when, you know, 1980s and things like that, you're saying it really wasn't a big deal. So when I say the dark side of bodybuilding to you, it was just what you did. It really wasn't that big of a deal. So what was, so when it became something that was an issue, so that time when Winstraw was found in the athlete who competed in the Olympics, and then it was like a tumble down of uh, some of effect to bring anabolics to be what is now something you can go to jail for. So during that time, it became less of over-the-counter normal, and then it started to become something of the dark side. So what was your exposure to it once it became the dark side? So I followed that pretty closely, and I never actually agreed with any of it. Um, When they did the congressional hearings to classify anabolics as a uh, narcotic, even the FDA said it didn't meet the criteria. It's not. Um, it's not cumulative. It's not addictive. It just didn't have the uh, things necessary to be a Schedule Three controlled substance. But they did it for political reasons. At the time, you know, it was uh, cheating in baseball and all of this kind of thing. So. Yeah, I know it happened and it it is and it's become a hot topic, but I never really saw it like that. As I said, when I started, it was just like buying vitamins at your GNC. Do you think that if it had not become such a dark, something that was a Schedule C or and illegal and banned, that it wouldn't be so carried away as it is today in like people who really have no idea what they're doing and they're just layer upon layer upon layering? Um, people that aren't competing, just average regular people who are using multiple different compounds at the same time and have no idea what they're doing with it. Do you think that it's kind of brought us to the, into that direction? Do you think that maybe if it hadn't been something that was taboo, that maybe it would have been a little bit more studied and educated? hundred percent for sure. I mean, back when I started, like I said, you could go to the doctor, he'd write you a prescription. Everything was made by a pharmaceutical company you got your blood work done and uh, you know, you knew what you were getting. And when they made it illegal, then it opened up the black market. And then you have underground labs producing things that are suspect. Uh, doctors don't no longer want to be involved for the most part. They don't want to monitor people. They're definitely not going to prescribe anything but HRT testosterone especially not uh, substances that are Schedule 3. So, yeah, it changed everything. 
Mm. And just like uh, prohibition with alcohol, it didn't stop it. It just created a huge underground market. What was that like for you? So do you, you probably saw it completely explode, that underground market. Was it bigger of a market than you think the money that was being made on anabolics and, and other substances? Do you think that perhaps um, it was a, a lot more of a moneymaker than it would have been if it wasn't illegal? Well, the interesting thing is um, back when the doctors were still prescribing it, the underground started to pop up, obviously, because people wanted to make money and they could sell it cheaper than you could get it from the doctor. So these uh, steroid doctors actually went to the authorities, the FDA, and started complaining about the black market. They wanted it shut down because they want, it was interfering with their business. Well, that backfired on them big time because not only did they go after the black market, they went after them too and started pulling their licenses and arresting the doctors. What year was this? I would say that was, um, it started in late 80s and it continued all the way through to the 2000s and even now. It's very interesting when you look at culturally. So I was born in 87, just to give you an idea. You know, I'm in my 30s right now. And to see the evolution where I am today in my own generation versus some of like you guys who've been around a little bit longer or been involved and hear the stories, it's very interesting to see where we are today versus then. Um, I know we're going to be talking about quite a few different things on the show today. Uh, site injection, something we're going to be focusing on as well. But I think one of the biggest topics around PEDs or site injection or anything in general is overall health. When you start talking about this stuff, I think that's where the information or misinformation, depending on how you look at it or who's telling you what, where, and when, you know, is, is this stuff actually dangerous? Is it not dangerous? How does that apply to us? Right. How long should you be using it? If any, that kind of thing. And there's, there's this common theme throughout the world right now where there's so many different narratives, whether or not it's good, it's bad, it's right, it's wrong, it's healthy, it's, it's usable a little bit. It's not a big deal. And you're seeing that in coaches and and on these teams and whatnot. I, I, uh, I was privy to, to a couple of the shows that you've been on already. And it seems that your background, you, with the extensive, um, let's say detail, attention to detail that you've used with the doctors that you've been involved in being that it was, you know, not illegal when you started all the way to today, you've kind of formulated your own methodology of use that you would, if I dare to say, would probably argue that is a healthier version of using PDs in general, you've been in and around them since the what early eighties and you're still healthy as an ox from what I understand. Your blood work today is great from what, what I've heard so far, your hearts are, your organs and everything is functioning well. What do you think um, as far as a misconceptions that have been since your era to today, what do you think are some of the hottest topics around that? That's kind of maybe not accurate. Well, I think, you know, the news tries to spin everything to make it sensational. Mm. So they only point out the bad. And they blow up the cases where people have issues. And I'm not saying they're not issues. There are definitely health, health concerns if things are done wrong or overdone. And 
um, there are some people that, you know, took advantage of the situation to make themselves a name and promoting like massive dosages and things like this, like Boston Lloyd, who was a, a good friend of mine for a number of years. And we totally disagreed on his way of doing things. And it's like anything else. I mean, you can water a plant and make it grow, or you can give it too much water and drown it. Hmm. It's simple as that. You can take an aspirin and relieve a headache. But if you take the bottle of aspirin, you're OD. Hmm. And the problem is now people don't really have a professional to turn to that actually can give them good advice. Well, there are some coaches, but there's so much misinformation on the internet. uh, You're kind of left to your own to figure this all out. If you decide to go down that road and, you know, you have the people that are completely against it um, for whatever their reasons are. I think a lot of them are misinformed. And uh, then there are cases where people do, crazy things and take way too high of dosages, uh, do things they shouldn't do, and they end up hurting themselves. So there's a, there's definitely risk involved in anything. Um, I can't really blame coaches. I think it's up to the individual to educate themselves. Uh, when I started, you know, like I said, I had some coaches, but it was my choice whether to listen to them or not. Sometimes I did. Sometimes I regretted it. And I finally came to the conclusion that, uh, you know, I'm better off listening to myself and doing my own research and figuring out, you know, what works and what I shouldn't do. And it was a lot of trial and error. Um, but I, I am very conservative uh, for a number of reasons, health, obviously, but performance wise, I don't think more is necessarily better, actually can be detrimental short-term and long-term. So there's this misconception that if you take more, you're going to get more out of it, which is just not true. Which is interesting. So PEDs, which are rampant in the sport of bodybuilding, there is another layer of enhancement that what's interesting is, is it's, um, it enhances the muscle, but it's not from an anabolic. So today I wanted to talk about that with you, which is site injection, the enhancement of the muscle in the areas um, that are maybe lagging body parts and using substances to do that. And at what point, things like synthol, we'll talk about water-based uh, and oil-based injections. And um, what I'd like to know is when did that even come on the scene and what was your exposure to that? So originally I this is my opinion. I can't base this on any fact, but people did what's called site injections of just the regular anabolics. And most anabolics are oil-based compounds and you had to stick it somewhere. And people realized, you know, if you stuck enough of it in a certain place, it would sort of inflame the muscle and make it bigger. However, you know, you can only inject a certain, so much anabolics at one time. So they came up with the idea, well, let's, uh, because anabolics are expensive for one. So obviously if you're going to stick a huge amount of oil into an area and it's going to be an anabolic, that's going to cost a bit of money, which some people did anyways. 
But people got the idea, well, what if we uh, just inject the oil and not without the uh, steroid compound in it? So that's how I got, think they got the idea for synthol in the first place. But even before that, there was a steroid, which was a real weak steroid. I, didn't, I don't think it had very much anabolic action called a cycline. And this was used in the early 80s. And it did have the effect of a temporary inflammation of the muscle. And I say temporary, it was like 24 hours. But you could inject it into the muscle like the day before a contest or even the night before or even in, in between prejudging and the night show and inflame the muscle and add maybe a half an inch to your arm or even an inch if you did enough of it. Um, and I know a lot of pro bodybuilders at the time were doing that because it made the muscle look bigger. And it actually, uh, the inflammation actually made it look more detailed as well, just because it was, it's like you had a pump in your muscle that just wasn't going away. So acycline, I think was the first, uh, site injection compound that people really started messing with. And like I said, it, it worked and I think it was pretty harmless because you know, people use it the day before the show and it would inflame the muscle and then it'd be gone. What year was this, you think? Oh, I know. I know it started in uh, mid 80s because I know certain pros that I trained with were using it and I used it myself. And like I said, it was a, a very short acting thing. Uh, later, they came up with something called Nolotel, which was... Um, a prostaglandin, same idea. You inject it in the muscle. It didn't have any anabolic properties, but it would just inflame the muscle. The problem with Nolotol, it made you nauseous and sick to your stomach. So you'd take it. Yeah, it would inflame the muscle, but you'd be puking your guts out. What was in it? It's a prostaglandin, um, which is a peptide hormone. And okay. I, I think they use it for uh, uh, inducing labor in pregnant women. Yikes. But if you put it in the muscle, it would inject the muscle, but also make you sick to your stomach. I think I tried it twice and that was it. Okay. You went, we went for the second, <laughs> you know, you try it once you're like, Oh, I got sick. Maybe it was just that. Maybe I just didn't feel good. Second yeah. time you're like, no, it's the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that stuff didn't work. So then what happened? I think the oil, um, I know they, they had it around, but I, I don't think it really became prevalent until the 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And that's when people realized, you know, you could just inject straight oil into the muscle and you could put a lot of it in there and it would actually make the muscle significantly bigger and it would stay that way for at least a period of time. Okay. So this was things like synthol you're talking about. And synthol, I think, is, I think people know loosely. If, if you've been around bodybuilding, you've probably heard the word synthol. I know there's different compounds than that. Um, synthol, I think, is what, 85% medium chain triglyceride oil, 7.5% lidocaine, 7.5% benzoyl alcohol. Does it hurt? Uh, basically, that's what synthol is. Um, the original synthol was made by Chris Clark, and it was called synthol. That's why the name but they came up with other products like pump and pose and various different other ones that were similar 
Some of them had different things in it, but it was pretty much what you said. Uh, does it hurt? Um, not the oil itself doesn't hurt. It has a bit of lidocaine in it. However, um, what hurts is the amount of injections that you have to do. Okay. The amount of injections, the volume of oil that you're putting into a specific area can be painful. Uh, not, not the shot itself doesn't hurt, but doing it. One thing about synthol is, um, so there's different ways people can use synthol. So let me uh, explain that a little bit. There is, you could use, let's say, a small amount to, let's say one arm is bigger than the other, so you're asymmetrical. And you want to put a half an inch or a peak on your bicep. So you inject three C's of, cc's of synthol uh, in both heads the day before a contest. And you add maybe a quarter inch, half inch to your bicep to balance things out. But that's not the way most people used it. Most people used it to actually put significant amount of size on. And I learned this originally from Nasser El Sambadi. I was actually uh, preparing for the uh, Mr. USA uh, to compete in the heavyweight division in 2003. And I was on my way down to Mexico and I stopped by World Gym in San Diego just to train. And I ran into Nasser there and I told him I was getting ready to compete in six weeks. And he, at the time I weighed about 230 pounds and I was pretty much almost in contest shape. And he took a look at me and he said he was impressed and he offered to help prepare me for the show. So of course, this is Nasser. He was, you know, runner up, Mr. Olympia, famous bodybuilder. Of course, I took him up on that. I'm going to learn from this guy. He completely destroyed me in six weeks. Oh my God. Com what happened? Well, I have a very fast metabolism. So, you know, I can't do tons of cardio and I can't do crazy low calorie, no carb diets for long periods of time because I just don't carry body fat. I mean, right now I'm at like 5% body fat and this is normal for me walking around. And Nasser, I think if he wasn't a bodybuilder, he'd be a 400 pound fat guy. So first thing he had me doing was training with him twice a day, doing cardio twice a day and starving to death. So I went from 230 pounds, almost in contest shape down to light heavyweight in six weeks. Wow. Um, he had me taking various compounds, anabolics, um, dosages higher than I'd ever done. And he is the first one that taught me about synthol. I mean, I knew about it, but he's the first one that told me how to use it. And the protocol was I had to, do, he wanted it in my shoulders and my, my arms because those were my weaker body parts compared to my torso and legs. <laughs> so it was three cc's in the outer head of the bicep, three cc's in the inner head of the bicep, three cc's in the outer head of the tricep three cc's in the long head of the tricep and three cc's in the lower part of the tricep. And then shoulders, three cc's uh, anterior head, medial head, and three cc's in the rear delt. 
So you're looking at, that's five, six, seven, eight, 16 shots. Okay. And it has to go deep underneath the muscle. So you have to use an inch and a half long needle and it has to be a fairly, at least a 22 gauge because oil is thick and to get it through. And this protocol had me doing this three days a week. Mm. And you have to do it continuously because you can't obviously put a, you know, a massive amount of oil in all at one time because of, it stretches the fascia stretches the muscle out. And over time it can accommodate more and more oil. So I would uh, preload all these syringes and I'd have them all laid out and I'd sit in a chair and have my ex-wife inject me for an hour. It was a, a miserable, extremely painful. And uh, yeah, it's not fun. What was, what was the philosophy behind it? Just in case anyone is curious, uh, this would be similar to something like a filler, a cheek filler, or, or something that you would use in and around your face for cosmetics. Now, obviously, we're not talking just cosmetics. We're talking bodybuilding. Bodybuilding, you're going to want speed. You're going to want power. You're going to want recovery. You're, ultimately, you're trying to put on more lean mass, which is size. So indirectly, you're putting something in the muscle. Uh, directly, indirectly, you're going to cause a, a visual appearance, which is bigger. But is there uh, performance benefit to this? You're using it three times a week. He introduced you to it. What was his philosophy? Was this purely cosmetic? Was or was this something that you were hoping to gain a physical performance it's as well? It's purely as cosmetic. cosmetic, and there's no physical performance. As a matter of fact, you can't train heavy with it, um, which I so it hinders. So it hinders performance for sure. You can't if you see the guys wow. that use it, they'll be doing you know cable pushdowns with a rope, you know, for a thousand reps with 20 pounds, you can't lift anything heavy with it because what happens is if you do try to lift something heavy, the oil will literally leak out of the muscle underneath the skin. And you'll have a layer of oil between the muscle and the skin, blurring out all the definition, covering the veins and everything. So uh, yeah, it's, there's no performance enhancement with this. It's just cosmetic. And I realized um, Nasser was a little bit nuts. And he was a friend of mine, but <laughs> I'd say a lot nuts. He told me one night after training that he was getting deep tissue massage several times a week to break up all the scar tissue which was caused by the Tsnithal. And he said to me, the scar tissue is spreading through my body like a cancer. And he's trying to break up all the scar tissue to get it out. The next morning, he comes to me and he flexes his bicep and he goes, I did it here, here, and here. And I knew right then he had a screw loose. So he's telling me the night before how it's killing him. And then he's still doing it. And this is, he was already retired from competition. He just wanted to look big, I guess. And his training was the very high volume, fast pace, a lot of reps. Because like I said, you can't train heavy on the stuff. And uh, it, it obviously worked for him to a certain degree. I mean, he took second place in the Mr. Olympia. Um, I didn't like it. it I, I didn't like the effect. And uh, definitely when I saw what happened, it, it starts leaking out. Uh, that's 
not something that you want. <laughs> so is it like pouring down your arm? It's literally when it's leaking it's, out. It, it will pour down your arm, yes, but it'll leak out like underneath the skin, and then eventually it'll. I'll just tell you like this: um, there is a competitor who won his division at the Mister Olympia this year, who I would never think that was using something like that because there's height and weight restrictions on that division. But if you take a look at him doing the double bicep, he has a where the Bicep has, you know, a space here. He has a little thing going into his elbow. Anybody who knows what that is, that's synthol leaking out of his arm. Was, is it a divot? You're talking about a no, crease? No, no, no. It looks like Simple? it's here. You see the space? Well, he's got a little mm -hmm. lump going into his elbow. Okay. So. I think I know who you're talking about. I've seen some of the gossip about somebody's biceps i think i know you're talking about it was know. one bicep yeah and actually somebody yeah. asked on a podcast you know what what was up with his arm and they just completely dismissed it they didn't want to talk about it but i knew it i was at the olympia and i was pretty had pretty good seats and as soon as he did it i i thought oh, okay he's got synthol coming out of his arm wow and that's interesting because there is a weight weight limit so how much weight it i mean it's metabolized by the body right? Slowly. Correct. correct. But what about the water-based ones? So there's oil-based, the example is synthol, and, um, and then there's water-based ones as so well. So the water-based stuff, um, hydrolytic, hydrolytic acid. I honestly, I don't think it works. It is a temporary inflammation. Um, I mean, it works a little bit, but it's, it doesn't work like the oil. Isn't it kind of similar to the fluid in your joints, hydrolonic, hydrolonic acid? Yeah, that's what, what they it use, is, for, they use for lip fillers and things like this. I just don't mm -hmm. think it really works in large muscle groups. It, okay. In my experience, it, it's absorbed way too fast. So, I mean, no matter how much you put into there, it's absorbed too quickly and it just breaks down in the body. I don't think it. The people that were hyping it or the people that were selling it. Interesting. The what I I think I um, understand what you're saying. I know that the water-based ones have been at least what I've been hearing is that it takes weeks to kind of get. I'm sorry, the oil-based ones. It takes weeks to to use the product to get you to the point where you want to be. And the water-based ones are something you can use between morning and night show just to give that little extra pump. Is that what is being used today prevalently? both the oil and the water? Or are you seeing more water than oil? Or are you just seeing like, which one are you seeing more prevalent? Use? I, I couldn't answer that question. I, 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 like I said, I think the oil base is going to have dramatically better effect, whether you're using it over a period of time or even for a temporary, I don't think the water base is really worth much. It's interesting. You know, Curious in your in your opinion, being that you said you were at the Olympia, you've seen a top competitor there. We don't need to use names or anything. But if you had to give a percentage, obviously you have a keen eye to the majority of this stuff. Could you say that what percentage of the top competitors per division were you seeing a lot of usage? Is it maybe one out of ten in every division, five out of ten, or or is it a very unique situation where we're still seeing it very scattered? Or is this something that people are using very prevalently? 
you know, okay, obviously I'm not only, only the person doing it knows and maybe their coach. Sure. You know, and unless, unless there's something gone wrong, you don't necessarily can't tell. I mean, obviously when things are gone wrong, there's big lumps, awkward looking muscles and things like that. Like we said in that one guy, Mm -hmm. but you don't really know for sure who's doing it or who's not doing it. But if I had to guess, I would say at that level, probably most of the top competitors are doing it only for the reason that, okay, obviously there's a lot of money on the line. They want to win anything that's going to give them a competitive advantage, whether it's, you know, half a percent or more people are going to do it. Now to the, what extent they're doing it, that's another issue. Like, like I said, some people might do it the night before the show to, you know, add a quarter inch to their arm to even out their symmetry or, or do something to a weak body part. And then there's people that use it extensively to add significant amount of size. Um, I, I, I know it's used. I couldn't say, I, I do know for sure certain people that are using it, whether, whether it's uh, 30% or a hundred percent, I'd say probably most. Interesting. What about the women's divisions? You don't, really hear much talked about with site injections besides the cosmetic with the face, breast implants, things like that. But from site injection for a muscle enhancement, um, there's some whisper about the bikini divisions, the wellness divisions with the glutes in particular, enhancing those areas. But nobody's really, I mean, it's a whisper. There's no conversations. There's no open conversations and dialogues that I'm seeing really anywhere. Do you have any exposure? Do you know what type of um, percentage of maybe the women's divisions are using synthol or some sort of oil-based site injection or water-based? I couldn't say a percentage, but I can tell you this. Um, Brazil is big on all kinds of site enhancement. And the Brazilian competitors, especially in wellness, they started the wellness division. Um, they definitely do it. And they are not using just sinful. They're using something called PMMA. PMMA is sort of like silicone, but it's a basic plastic. And it's injected directly into the muscle and has to be done by a doctor. Uh, the problem with PMMA is it's permanent. It permanently bonds to the muscle. Wow. So there's no, there's so no taking it out. Once it's in there, it's there. Wow. Um, there was a Brazilian talk show host who was a competitor. She did PMMA in her glutes and her body rejected the plastic. They had to go in there and literally uh, cut out half of her glutes and her hamstrings. She was in the hospital for, I believe, almost two years and almost died. There's no removing it. If you want. Where did this plastic? What? I mean. Okay, there's sight there's sight enhancement oils, things that might be recognized by the body. And then there's plastic. I'm having a hard time making the connection here with logic. Can like where did this plastic idea come about that's bonding to the muscle, can't leave the body? Like I believe it started in Brazil. And I mean, you know, P 
I, they started probably the same way they got the idea of uh, breast implants. Somebody got the idea, well, let's put, see with the oil, you know, it's going to eventually reabsorb back into the body and, and you're going to have to keep doing it. This, you put it in there and it's there. It's never going to go away. It's a medical procedure. They put this stuff in and it's there. If you want the poster child for PMMA, it's Rich Piano. Rich Piano was full okay. of PMMA. I know because he asked me to help him prep for a competition. And we, his last competition that he ever did, he was came to me about two, three weeks before. And he flexed his arm. It was 24 inches. And the first thing I said to him is, what's in your arm? And he said, no, nah, just side injections. I come, come on, Rich, this is me. I see there's something in your arm. There's no separation between your bicep and your tricep. It's just a big lump. And it doesn't change shape when you flex it. It was the same whether it was hanging at his side or whether he was flexing his arm. And uh, he had it all over the place, shoulders, arms, eventually put it in his chest. And I don't know this for sure, but I think that probably contributed to his early demise. Because you just imagine if you put plastic into a muscle, you know, there's no blood flow to that. It's clogging up everything. So how do you even flex or train or sit? Well, if you watch Rich's videos, he came up with the bull crap. You know, I do a thousand reps of arms all day long. This is just a story to justify the 24 inch arms. The, wow. the answer is you, you just don't. So clearly dangerous. They're cutting out people's muscles. You know, you're saying in, in Brazil, they're potentially extracting this stuff from, from damage. Have you heard of any other damage with anything? The synthol, either oil-based, water-based, is there nerve damage? Or what, what would be the main concerns for negative side effects across the board? Well, if you put an enormous amount of oil in a certain place, Obviously, you're stopping blood flow to the muscle. You can interfere with the nerves. Um, and I think it kills the muscle. It really does. I can tell you this. Um, when you stop doing it, and eventually the oil gets reabsorbed, whether depending on your metabolism, whether that takes weeks or months, however long it takes, when it comes out, your muscle is not the same as it was before you did it. Imagine you take a balloon and you inflate it full of water and then you drain all the water out. What do you have left? You have a floppy muscle that's not as strong as it was before because there's no glycogen in there. It's just a floppy muscle that doesn't contract right. It doesn't look right. You basically damage the muscle. Plastic, I mean, it, it can only be worse. But people do it because, you know, I, I, I don't know. To me, it's crazy, but people do crazy things. So what percent, so the women's divisions are, um, so the big concern in Brazil is the plastic use. It's P-N-M-A. P-N-M-A. Now, I also know a girl okay. who is not a competitor. She did compete at once upon a time, but she just does OnlyFans page and she has body dysmorphia. She came to me and asked me about rib removal, which I told her she's crazy. She already has a small waist. Her 
breast implants were huge. And then she did Synthol and she was actually promoting pump and pose like on her channel for the people, because I guess they were giving her free Synthol and she made her ass huge. And I guess she thought that looked good. And I guess some people think it looks good to me. I, I just thought it looked ridiculous. She looked like a cartoon character. Um, but she was injecting just a lot of oil in her butt wow. and she's not even competing. And I, and it, and I don't think it's just limited to competitors. I think a lot of just gym rats, people in general, just do this type of stuff. A lot of the Brazilian people that do this, they don't compete. They just think they look good walking around all blown up. Interesting. Do you think the bikini division has any use of uh, injections? Glutes, particularly? I couldn't say for sure. I mean, I don't, I don't know no. any particular subtle. I don't know any particular person. I, you know, anybody could be doing anything that we don't know about. I don't really see a huge benefit there because uh, they don't really want, they want them to be very skinny. So I don't know if it would be the amount of oil you'd have to put in to make a difference. I don't know if it would be worth it. I, I okay. prep some bikini competitors and I would never have them do that because they can get the results they need just from training. So it's, it's just completely unnecessary. Now, when you get to wellness and they want some crazy proportions, that's a different issue. Okay. Other divisions, the uh, physique, women's bodybuilding, you think it's in those divisions potentially, or is it primarily what you're seeing in wellness, your exposure? Obviously you don't know everybody. You know, um, I think on the amateur level, it's definitely noticed more. I talked to a good friend of mine who's an NPC judge just last night about this. And she was like, yeah, we mark people down. We can see inflammation, this, this, and that. And I said, what about when you can't see it? And she didn't really have an answer to that. Obviously, you can't see it. You don't know. You can't mark them down if you don't know. If they see it, they'll mark it down. But um, like I said, people will do anything to get an advantage. Not everybody, but a lot of people will. So if they think it's going to give them, you know, a 2% advantage and they might win a pro card, they might do it. What's the distinct look or the change in appearance that happens after um, injection? So you talked about overinflating the muscle. It could, it just looked like a balloon. You gave that kind of visual for people. And the reason I ask is because there, there's like Milo Sarsev was very vocal about his exposure and experience to synthol and particularly his biceps. And there's a side-by-side -side photo showing his biceps before and the quality of them, the separation, you can see a whole lot more detail. And then at, with his synthol use, you can see it just looked like a rock. Is that from overuse or is that just what happens over time? Both. Both. Okay. I mean, if you want a good example, look at Ronnie Coleman and look at Flex Wheeler. Look at their arms. Ronnie Coleman's biceps were peaked with full of striations and separation. And Flex Wheeler biceps were big, but they looked like balloons. You know, and again, it's to the extent that somebody does it. Maybe Ronnie Coleman did it to put a, a little bit of a peak on his bicep. I don't know. I, I think probably not, but Flex Wheeler definitely did it. And it's, you know, 
blew up his arms and shoulders to proportions to where you, you saw no definition. You saw no, no separation. You don't see any striations anymore. And like I said, I mean, you're, the muscle can only hold a certain amount of oil. And then it starts leaking out under the skin. So it's going to blur the definition. So you're not going to see all that separation. You're not going to see the, the striations. And I think uh, that's what you're seeing a lot in today's competitors. You don't see the hardness and the separation and striations that you saw, you know, back in the 90s when I think they were probably just using it in their shoulders and arms and not so much everywhere. Now you're seeing, you know, ginormous legs, but they don't have a single cut in them. You know who I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. A single cut in them. Yeah. And that, you know, the, there is some people out there that talk about these products usage and how they have an anabolic effect. They hyperfeed the muscles and it causes growth. Bullshit. I mean, it's part of yeah. my language. Okay. No, it's nonsense. No, this is why you're here. If, let me tell you, <laughs> if, it, if it was like that, I would have 22 inch arms right now. Where did that even come about? Is that just a sales yes. pitch? I mean, that was promoted by people selling the stuff. It was just a, I mean, it's, it's just pretty, a story. It's pretty prevalent. I mean, from people who have well-known well, podcasts, like, they're talking well, about you it. know, it's, it's like, like if you're selling this stuff and, uh, you know, you tell a story that you're going to get permanent muscle growth from it, more people are going to buy it. If you tell the real story that it's going to blow up the muscle temporarily, and then it's going to deflate the muscle when it all comes out. And it's actually going to kill some of your muscle cell in the process. Not so many people are going to be excited about buying that. Mm. I mean, is there a go-to person for these injections? Because let's face it, I don't think the average person has medical training on where nerves are and understands necessarily human anatomy so much to be able to tell where to properly I say properly, loosely, just where would you inject it versus where you would not? Because you talked a little bit about nerves, which are a concern for nerve damage, which would mean you don't have sensation and you lose the muscle atrophies. You talked about that. And then also the concern of hitting veins and arteries and things like that. I mean, who's doing these injections with major risks like that of nerve damage, potentially death if it, if it hits a vein? I mean, is it just still done by somebody who you just word on the street is good? Or is there actually a person who has some sort of medical training doing this stuff? The answer is no. No medical no. training. Just average person. Average people doing the injections. Who teaches you how to do a steroid shot. Okay. Same person. So this is pretty risky then, huh? Um, yeah, I would say... I don't know about doing an injection and hitting a nerve. I mean, yeah, it could happen. Um, definitely it could happen. I don't think it happens a lot. The, the major effect is just the amount of stuff getting in there, interfering with the circulation, maybe blocking the nerves, things like that. Um, okay. But there's no, there's nobody. I mean, you know, I learned from Nasser somebody. He did, he wasn't a doctor of any kind. You know, Boston Lloyd was a poster child for synthol, and he put out protocols. 
he wasn't a doctor of any kind. I believe that probably contributed to his early demise as well. I mean, he, he even published like a, I think an online little pamphlet of how to do it and sold the stuff. Today, uh, the pump and pose, the guy who uh, had that product, he passed away. So you can't get it anymore. The Chris Clark synthol is, you can't get that anymore. So I don't know what people are using now. Maybe they just. Is it legal? It was legal at the time, just because it was never made illegal. I don't think, uh, I don't think there was enough knowledge about it for anybody to even any government authority to care. So it was just never made illegal. I don't know even, I don't think it meets the thresholds of like, what are you going to make cooking oil illegal? I mean, that's what they use in Brazil. They just, they, they use just oil straight, you know, cooking oil, or I've heard even motor oil. You see these Brazilian guys that are, they're just crazy weird looking proportions or, Muscles are blown up. They don't, they just look like balloons. They're injecting all kinds of just whatever they can get their hands on. They just stick it in there. And, and there are some of them have died. They're getting infections from just injecting dirty compounds, you know, unsterilized stuff into their muscles, getting massive infections and abscesses and having to have them amputated or drained. There's a wild, you know, one of the things that we do, and, and she invites me on the shows a lot of times in subjects that I'm more interested in. I started my bodybuilding journey. Um, well, I met her eight years ago. That's when I fully got involved. But I've been consistently training now just over three years, solid, completely natural the whole time. So I'm, I'm in my mid-30s. Later on in life, I'm starting. I'm building a new relationship with the, with the business as a whole, with the sport as a whole. Uh, with with the fitness side of everything, nutrition side of everything. So it's always intriguing to me, you know, where the sport started, where it is today and what people are doing or what they didn't do. Um, on the show, when we when we talk a lot, we, we tend not to, for, for her and I, we tend to try to want to understand everybody else's perspective because there's so much different information, so many different opinions. A lot of this stuff isn't regulated. Some of it's illegal and some of it's not like, it's just such a gray area, the topic PEDs in general. And, and this is another interesting subtopic of PEDs in, in general. It's like this gray area of technically it's kind of legal, but it may be doing more damage than some of the other anabolics or, you know, whatever you're, you're getting into from, from a, a compound standpoint. So it's very interesting to me to see your evolution, even in, in your use. What I understand is you've, you've kind of found somewhat of a happy spot, a happy medium for your body where you're, you're, you're still healthy, you're in your 50s, you're still working out, you're still getting stronger from what I understand, you're doing deadlifts at 600 plus pounds still. I mean, you're in there training, you're, you're living the life, which is to me, like whether you're using enhancements or not, if you're in there doing the work for any extended period of time, kudos to you. Like people don't understand the, the kind of dedication that that takes to, to get through it. But in this particular topic, this subtopic of synthol, synthol or injections or oils or water-based or essentially, you know, fake, <laughs> fake inflammation, right? Like I, if, if people can argue steroids are, are fake, I would say, no, they just enhance the ability to do things. But this is plastic or water or oils clearly doing damage. I mean, this is a topic that's 
doing damage across the board. And, and I hate to see any of the youth or anybody for that matter, get involved in something that is going to do anything harmful in, 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 any, in any way. In your opinion, do you think that we should be steering away from this subtopic as a community in the bodybuilding world? Is this something that we should be like, hey, you know, this is probably, there's some lines in life. This is probably one of them. Do you think maybe we can move in a direction where we can speak freely about it like that? Or what's your interpretation as a whole? So when I started back in the 80s, the people I looked up to were like Berto Fox, Mike Menser, who was one of my training partners and roommates. And they were big, but they were strong. Bodybuilders were strong. I mean, they weren't power lifters, but they were strong. They could lift weight. And I always wanted to be big and strong. I didn't want to just look strong. So the idea to be blown up and not be able to curl a 50-pound dumbbell, it's not appealing to me. I want to be able to function, to be able to do things. And, you know, putting oil in there, it's, it's not real. So I don't, I don't really agree with it. I don't really like it. Are people going to do it for a competitive advantage? Yeah. Did I try it? Yeah. I didn't really like the effects, which is why I only did it a few times and I never went back to it again. I mean, whether you can. So from like a moral standpoint, you feel as though you didn't earn the muscle. Like you had at least, so you feel like even with, for example, anabolics, you've still trained, you still did the work, you still grew, but with something like a site injection, it's just kind of quote unquote fake. Is that why you think the judges have like, it's if they notice, if they notice that you have some sort of site injection, you'll get marked down for an imbalance. So yeah, it's not real muscle. It's, it is, it's fake. It's like a breast implant. I mean, if you want that, fine, but it's not muscle. You didn't. When I started, I looked up to people like Dorian Yates and Mike Menser, and the idea was whoever trained the hardest, dieted the hardest, and put in the work was going to win. Now it's, you know, who can inject the most stuff? And I, I don't really, it's not appealing to me. I, what about implants? So you touched, you mentioned breast implants, but what percentage of people are putting muscle implants in? Are they, are they, is it easily to, con, is it easy to conceal muscle implants? Uh, absolutely not. I saw a Brazilian in the first um, wellness competition was at the LA Fit Expo, which uh, I actually talked to my friend who's a judge. She judged that show. And there was a Brazilian there with uh, butt implants and it was so obvious it just did not look anything like muscle. It just looked weird. It, you could see the outline, like you could see the outline of a breast implant. You could see the outline of the implant in her butt and then her skinny legs coming off of it. It oh. totally looked bizarre. Yeah, there was a lot of controversy. Speaking of the women's division, it's all over the internet. Um, that there was a wellness competitor that came out who had awkward looking glutes and it was, and she was put into the third call out instead of being somebody that people consider to potentially be a top five contender in the Olympia. And what was interesting was she did actual uh, x-rays and showed that she didn't have implants. But a couple of days later, it showed that she had photos of her with striated glutes. However, 
at the actual show, there wasn't any striations. It was very soft looking glutes, but there's a crazy amount of separation in the quads, but the glutes looked really soft. So I thought that was kind of interesting where people just assumed it was implants. Perhaps it wasn't, and maybe it was just a temporary enhancement. What are your thoughts on that? Most likely synthol. Synthol? Most likely. I mean, it could you probably know what I'm talking about. I, if you were I, at the I, Olympia, I, I know who you're talking about, and I, I saw the video on it. I don't, I don't think those were implants. It maybe she just has weird looking glutes, and she, maybe her conditioning was just off. I don't know, but I don't think those are. They definitely were implants. But uh, could there have been synthol in there or some other substance? Yeah, for sure. I think what was the most suspicious was it just looked very soft. So the glute. She was extremely lean, and you would have expected some striations if you see striations everywhere else but the glute. So it just, I think that was potentially what was throwing people off. Um, so you think that it's maybe some synthol use. How many people, do you, women, do you actually see on stage striations? Women's physique. I'm, I'm just <laughs> saying, you know, not too many women you're going to actually see striations. And and you got to remember, taking a picture in a hotel, you're going to see things a lot different than on stage, on a pay-per-view with crappy lighting. Mm. So the striations might have been there, and you just couldn't see them. Um, and you can have striations with synthol in your butt or PMMA or whatever else, because it's underneath the muscle. So that doesn't mean she didn't have something in there. I'm not saying she did or didn't. I don't know. Sad. I mean, really, at the end of the day, it's my opinion. I know I, we don't like to do that, but my opinion is it's just sad. You know, experimenting is one thing and, and learning for yourself, especially if you don't have knowledge or, you know, you're trying something for the first time. But it, just as you did, you realize very quickly that this is probably something that's not going to be beneficial long term in any in any effort. So it's uh, it's interesting to hear. And, and I appreciate your honesty and openness to talk about what your opinion is on this. You know, you, your, your candor to everything that you're doing is is admirable in, in some aspects so that, you know, people like myself or anybody who's just getting involved or people learning can have an understanding of what is or isn't so that, you know, I'm not getting misinformation from the next drug dealer at whatever gym or, you know, I want to look a certain way and, and find out that that's not achievable, achievable really in any, in any healthy way for that matter. So, so thank you for that. I appreciate that. Well, yeah. Yeah. And you're, go ahead. I was going to say, and your exposure and history in the sport is really quite lengthy. And you, you have so much, you have so many stories. I mean, people can find all kinds of uh, stories about you, just maybe Google or YouTube. And you've done quite a few interviews about your past and how really quite movie-like it was. And, you know, today, I mean, what, what's it feel like today? So here you are, you're, you seem to be in a really great place. You're here on a podcast with us sharing and really, I think, giving back to the bodybuilding industry because I don't think there's a lot of honesty and people that are this blunt and open about things where, you know, I can ask you a question and you come back and you're like, it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just the way I am. I just tell it like it is. I've never been somebody that's fake. You know, I have nothing to hide. Yeah. My story is all over the Internet. I just told it like it is. And you actually spent three years putting together a script for your story. I think the audience really, you really should 
listen, pay attention to when the story, because you're going to be going, you're looking for somebody to actually create the movie. Yeah. Right? So I did a YouTube video uh, at the time. This is several years back. I didn't even know why I was doing it. Uh, this, these guys from a uh, podcast called Fresh Out asked me, do you want to do a podcast? And I'm like, sure. I had no idea what it was for or why or anything. They had me meet at an apartment in Studio City, pulled up a chair, set up a, a camera and a microphone and said, okay, go ahead and talk. So I just told them what happened. And I didn't know if it was going to go anywhere or anything. I didn't know what it was for. But the thing went viral and it's got like three million views. And I got contacted by all these screenwriters. And one guy I decided uh, to work with him and he's been working on a script and we've been working on it for about three years and it's finally done. It took a long time, but um, it's pretty in depth and it's, it's more, it has a lot of aspects to it. It's not, it's gets into the whole political thing about, you know, Balco and operation raw deal and uh, how steroids became a schedule three controlled substance and the whole background. So it's it's pretty detailed. Maybe a little trailer for the audience who maybe doesn't have the um, hasn't been able to see a little bit about you. Maybe you can provide a little quick trailer about what perhaps is in this docu this documentary of your life. Well, if you watch the YouTube video that's on there, the one that got three million views, it mainly talks about um, I ran a steroid lab in Mexico, uh, and that. During Operation Raw Deal, it got closed down. I was kidnapped by the cartel. So there's some of that in there, but the actual script goes more in depth about, you know, right from the beginning uh, when I got into bodybuilding and all the things that I went through all through the teenage years, all the way through till now where I'm running my gym. So it's a whole life story. It's not yes. just that, that's a, that point in time. You have like nine lives. I feel that sometimes. Sometimes I look back and I'm, I, I think uh, reality is stranger than fiction. And you sit here today and you're just, you, you're so well composed. You have a gym. You actually have a powerlifting meet that's coming up, which March 25th. Um, let's see, Saturday, March 25th, all day at Underground Performance Gym. You've got a powerlifting meet. Interesting. It says it's, I think I just saw that it's drug tested. Yes, right? it is drug tested. Interesting. What's the, what's the, what's the meaning behind making that drug tested? We do drug tested and non-tested meats. I run two uh, non-tested meats and two drug tested meats a year. And there's just a demand for drug tested because uh, in powerlifting, not everybody wants to take drugs. And so we actually drug test and it's legit, like legit drug testing. What's legit? You can't cheat and get away with it. Okay. Even so, is it like Olympic level or is that even cheatable versus what you guys do? Well, I'm t I guess anything's cheatable, but not at my meets. I mean, <laughs> you, pee in the, you pee in the bottle and it goes to the lab and I, I seal right, it and put it in the mail to the lab. So, you know, it's, there's no cheating at my meets. It's interesting how you talk, and I do think that the credibility behind everything you're saying, the fact that you were so in depth into the industry, and especially on a level of actually having your own lab, 
where you did, you had where you created anabolics, like you actually were involved in the creation of the actual anabolic substances themselves. I mean, you really do have quite the history. I'm really looking forward to your full story that's coming out. Do you have any idea of what your ETA on when that movie's going to come the out? The script just got finished literally a few weeks ago. And so now I'm waiting for a production company to pick it up. Do you have anyone's in mind? Or are you pitching them or are they coming to you? Um, there's a couple people we're talking to. We're waiting for somebody to give us a good offer. I mean, I had somebody way back when offer me $5,000 to take over the whole thing. And I told him, no, no, $5,000 is not enough money. To take it over? Like, are are you going to, are you in the movie? Is it like a acted out type of movie that you're thinking? Or is it just straight up documentary? Uh, Probably a docudrama. And no, I don't, I don't know if I'll be in it or not. But a a producer wanted to just, buy the rights of the whole thing and give me five grand. And I turned it down. I'm having thoughts of Rocky, right? Sylvester Stallone with his script, right? Somebody offered him money, wanted his, and didn't want him to be in the movie. Do you remember all this? Yeah, kind of, it rings a bell of that. We'll see how this plays out. (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I also wanted, the reason I chose this script writer that I did is because I wanted it to be authentic and real and based on what really happened, I didn't want to turn it into some nonsense Hollywood drama, you know, cheesy thing that they wanted to come up with or some, which was some people wanted it to do. So it's, it's, it's pretty factual. I mean, there's some stuff that he put in there for dramatic effect, but for the most part, it's pretty factual based on what really did happen. So it goes through your childhood, starting with competing, I believe, at the age of 16 is when you started and competing? It goes even before then. Um, okay. 14? Uh, my older brother 15? was a famous um, a scientist who studied mushrooms, and he was murdered when I was 13 years old, and there's a whole story behind that. Um, he was a competitive lifter as well, and it starts from there. And then it goes through how I got into bodybuilding and then through bodybuilding and all the different things I went through in my life, which it seems, like I said, it seems like sometimes I look at it and I think, did that really even happen? Does it feel like a lifetime ago? Multiple lifetimes ago? Yeah, I think it feels like I've had 10 lives and just different parts. Hmm. And where are you today? I'm in a really good place. Actually, my gym's doing really well. Um, every, everything's pretty straightforward. I run my meets, I run my gym. We're doing, we're doing good. That's great. Larry, where could we get more information on everything that you got going on? Uh, you can go to my website, undergroundperformancegym.com. Uh, you can contact me through there. Uh, my email address is up there. I'm on my social media, underground performance gym, and also my personal one, Larry Pollock. Um, everything's out there. And of course, if you just Google my name, everything comes up. Well, we're looking forward to seeing all that come to life. Larry, I can't thank you enough for taking the time and coming on the show and being so open and honest about topics and sharing a little bit more about really openly about some of the things that have happened in your life too. 
So I really appreciate your time and I'm really looking forward to getting all of this out there for the audience and getting honesty out there. I want the subjects of in the sport that may be taboo or just not talked about. This is the stuff that I want to have the conversations about. I want people who, especially who are new to the sport, to be able to have a little bit more educated uh, education beforehand so that maybe when they're approached by coaches who maybe are suggesting things to them, they might be like, eh, I don't know, versus maybe just thinking, oh, well, it's just kind of what you do in the sport. So I, I do appreciate your time today, your honesty. Uh, go to undergroundperformancegym.com to get some information. And March 25th is that meet if you're in the area. And where where is the area? Where can people uh, find Ventura, the gym? California. We're right downtown Ventura, right off Main, Main awesome. Street. Awesome. So we'll make sure that we're out that way the next time we're on the West Coast too. We'll come visit you. Yeah, you'll like it. It's a, it's probably one of the few hardcore gyms left. We, we yeah, have we everything. Love it. Wonderful. Thank you, Larry. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for coming Thank on you the for show. Having me. I appreciate it. it Thank you. Ever wonder if you are posing correctly for your division? Learn to Pose is dedicated to taking out the guesswork on how to pose for all categories in bodybuilding. Learn five ways you can improve your posing skills in five minutes guaranteed at www.learntopose.com. There are free posing tutorials available for the bikini, figure, and men's physique categories. More on the way for other divisions in bodybuilding. It's free, so go access your free posing tutorial for bikini, figure, or men's physique at learntopose.com.